And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here with Randy Mueller. If you can hear me laughing, it's because there's a delay of game penalty on Sando today. The last five, ten minutes, I'm getting these texts from Mueller. Hey, we good? I said, yeah, I think we got a great show going. A few minutes go by. We're rolling. I said, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think we got a good show here. What he meant was, we're rolling, Sandra. You better get in here. So I don't know what the heck was going on. Clock management was bad for Sandra today. I think uh, the clock management is an issue. <laughs> I think the listeners might be calling in and telling us what Sandro needs to use his timeouts a little more <laughs> judiciously. <laughs> uh, there's no doubt about it. So no one else will had to know that coming in, but it was, it was just comical for me today because mm. I know we started at a certain time and I just... I just spaced it by a half an hour. So appreciate you looking out for me, Randy. I am doing well. I, I, thanks for your frequent te- texts checking in on me to see how I was doing this morning. Nothing's <laughs> wrong. We're ready to go. How you doing? I'm doing great. I am fired up about the show, actually. I was thinking this morning, we there's something about the show that gets me excited. Maybe it's yeah. just talking to you about certain things, but I enjoy it so much that it, yeah. it kind of gets me fired up, and it, it it's a good starter for my weekend. I hope our listeners... Yeah. Yeah, get half of what we're talking about yeah. because it, it it'd be a shame if it, you and I were the only ones that enjoyed it. You know, <laughs> no, absolutely. We got a bunch of good stuff. We will start with the Thursday night game, which is a bad game, but there's good stuff to talk to uh, talk about off of it. I wanted to get into Randy's uh, thoughts today too. He wrote about a couple MVP candidates for him and Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. I wanted to talk about that. We got a ton of stuff. I added in Randy when I was kind of thinking the show wasn't going to start yet. Mm-hmm. I added in a thing on the Bills in there, so. Great. Um, good for fact, it. Yeah, you'll be good for that. Uh, I promise you, I won't take the fifth like Robert Sala did on the radio interview when he got caught off guard about uh, his questions <laughs> on uh, Zach Wilson. I've never seen that before where a oh, coach, yeah. where a yeah, coach go, just yeah. froze up and just said, hey, I, I'm taking the fifth. Those were literally his words. I don't know why we don't play Trevor Simeon. It's like someone must be forcing him to play Zach Wilson for sure because That's he clearly didn't didn't want to answer it. it I promise you, whatever topic you threw on the rundown, I'll be good with it. I'm good with it. We can talk about it. That, you know, that's probably one we should have had in there. I mean, we didn't even have that one in there. That's <laughs> Maybe uh, we'll talk about it in the notebook at the end. In the notebook. Yeah, let's throw that in the notebook. That's pretty good when you actually get stumped. And like you always say, you know, or you hear people say, the great thing about the truth is you can tell it over and over again. You don't have to get your story yeah. straight. And so when right. you really can't be truthful, <laughs> when he knows and the locker room knows that it's not working, Yep. then it's hard to say it's working. So no doubt. Um, as far as not working, we the Thursday night game, Randy, 16 to 13, uh, yeah. the Bears over the Panthers. And there's interesting things, though, to talk about, to talk about off of the game, bigger picture stuff, not just the draft order. What do you got? Yeah, I agree with you. I think there does spawn some conversations off of the, not only the performance, but of some of the decisions that have been made prior to the game. I mean, obviously the last night, the Thursday night game was a struggle for both teams. Uh, Nothing that happened, I'll say this, Mike, that really surprised me. Um, some of us had questions about Bryce Young. 
I think people saw some of those questions come to light. If you watch the game closely, I mean, it's it's not rocket science. It is a big man's game. And in this case, yeah. at least in my opinion, it was a struggle for Young and in a bunch of different ways, mostly reflective, in my opinion, again, of a smaller frame. You can't let the Panthers offense off the hook totally for sure. The scheme, the surrounding players, uh, there's like we've said many times, QBs are an organizational success or failure. And for my money, I don't think this organization's ready to support the development of this particular quarterback, in this case, who I think will take more support than most because he's 5'10", 180 pounds. And that's, yeah, that's that's problematic for them. And I, th- I thought I saw that the last game, too, you know, when he had mm-hmm. a couple pick sixes. It's it's uh, peeking around and trying to see and can't see and throwing it anyway. And some of that's just not having a trust and comfort in your protection either. I think that's starting to take a toll on him. Didn't you feel, I felt yes. his nervousness in the pocket, you know, and... I would say that for sure, Mike. And if you remember, and this is not hindsight's 2020, there was a game that we've talked about that happened a couple years ago when he when they played Georgia. It might have yeah. been the national championship game. That game was really big for Bryce. There was a lot of, for lack of a better word, a lot of shit happening in that pocket. And it made me feel like he kind of shrunk in there and it's not his fault. It was just, it showed. The size showed. And I've never been able to get that out of the back of my mind. So that maybe was one of the reasons I've always struggled to warm up to this. But let's face it, no quarterback in the history of the league has ever been this size picked at the top for that reason. I mean, that's a fact. So we can say what we want. We can all have our opinions. And I'm not ready to bury Bryce Young because I think there is a lot of upside. But Yes, it's a struggle for smaller guys that we've kind of poo-pooed now because Russell Wilson's good, because Drew Brees was good, because somebody picked Kyler Murray first, you know, but it can be problematic, like you said, for the long term as well. Yeah. Uh, The other thing is when you struggle uh, as a team for too long, uh, you know, you're looking for someone to have the answers, right? Sometimes you get in a spiral and it's hard to get out of. And I just noticed here Frank Reich is 4-15 and 1 in his last 20 games. If you go back to the end of that 21 season when it really unraveled, they lost their last two games with the Colts and then he coached whatever number of games with the Colts last season. And then you uh have this season. That's tough. And well, I was just looking, he's one of 28 coaches that have coached at least 20 games since then. Here's the worst records. Matt Eberflus 6 and 21. Frank Reich, 4-15-1. Amazingly, Sean McVay, 9-19. Josh McDaniels, 9-16. Belichick, 11-17. Arthur Smith, 11-17. You mentioned Bryce Young has to have it better than most to do well on offense. Do you feel that way about Reich, uh, Frank Reich? How do you feel about his ability to take less and do more? Do you think that he's been... Uh, basically just a reflection of what he's had for good, for good or bad. Is he, is he able to elevate uh, when it's not good? Well, we haven't seen it yet. And I know Frank well. We were together for several years with the Chargers. And, and I think that part of his MO is the kind of person he is, is the character. I mean, talk about an awesome guy, a guy you want to be around, a guy you want to root for to have success. But it's been a mystery at times uh, that he can elevate others. I haven't seen it yet. 
Um, it didn't happen in Indy, but they didn't have great personnel either. They struggled at quarterback. That's the big thing for me is I hope I hope the reason that Carolina hired Frank were some of these other intangible reasons, not his resume of being a quarterback whisperer, because that didn't happen to a successful level in Indy either. Um, I have some questions about this one, as as most of us do, but my questions would then fall on the process of why Frank, and then why and how did we get to this quarterback? Yeah, I just I think it's problematic to have given up the play calling already because what yes what you know when we're giving away what should be our one of our number one strengths, you should be able to last more than seven games before that gets handed off. When you when it seems like that was such a big part of why you were hired, so the whole thing there, I'm. I'm questioning the whole thing. I'm questioning, uh, you know, there's been questions about who wanted who, which quarterback in the draft and all of that. So David Tepper is going to be the key variable there yeah. and how much patience he's going to have, especially if there was some disagreement over which quarterback to select. I think that's just a, this is a very interesting place. So Yeah, I totally agree. And I don't know that we have all the information. I mean, we can what if ourselves to death, but the process by which they arrived on Young how much Tepper exerted his will, we truly don't know. I mean, we, we kind of think we've heard some, but depending on his level of involvement, the, the process might be flawed. And, and really, Frank's role in it, I, again, I don't know, so we're just kind of connecting dots from the outside. Um, if he allowed the team to pick a quarterback that he wasn't enamored with, he, that's a fault of his as well. He'd never have more rope than in the first few months of a relationship at a new place to push back if that's what he wanted to do. So I don't know. The dynamics are are up for debate because we don't know. And then where does Scott Fitter, the GM, figure in that mix? I know this. Any first-round pick has to be, I think, met with consensus within your own building. And if there's not consensus in your own building, I've been a firm believer in this for 30 years you better pick a different lane. You yeah. better pick a lane. And that, even if that means we're not picking a quarterback, so be it. We've got to do what's right for us, and we've all got to be rowing the same direction. If if the coach, the GM, the owner can't agree, we need to pick a different lane. And whatever lane that is, everybody understands it because we're all on the same page. If not, eventually that will be yep. that'll be answered. And, and I think that may be what, what's happened here. I don't know. We just don't know. I thought one of the interesting points you made when we were talking beforehand was uh, the two best players for the Bears in this game were on Carolina's team last year. <laughs> yeah, that's problematic. <laughs> yeah, that's not a, that's not good. That's for sure. When your team build is as deep of a dive into a rebuild as you can get in Carolina, and the two best players on the other side of the field are your guys, that's a problem. DJ Moore and then Foreman, the running back. <laughs> yep, no doubt. That's yeah. that's a struggle. So that, let's flip this around. Know, into, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that's, you know, there's probably a whole nother podcast with the Bears side of it. But for one thing, it's not a great measuring stick for either, except you're measuring the depths of both franchises kind of where they're at right now. That's what I, you know, that's what I was just noticing kind of, you know, reading through and, and listening to some of the coverage off of the game. Like it's exciting for the Bears to win the game, but let's not have yeah. any grand illusions here. There's nothing going <laughs> on that... We're not like evaluating Badgent as your as a potential quarterback here. No, they're they're struggling on offense as well. I think they they we're always going to confuse them with the two thousand Rams. That's for sure. It's just a a problem in itself. And I think they've got to 
probably as big a question marks and answers to come up with these next six or eight weeks as anybody. We know they have picks. We know they've traded Carolina. That's done. That's water under the bridge. But what they do with those picks will determine if it's a successful deal for them or not. And I mean, you mentioned uh, what happens with these quarterbacks. I, I don't see any way that Chicago doesn't try to position himself for a quarterback. And I know we're going to talk about that later, but it's it's uh, it's going to be two top 10 picks for sure. And then it's up to whatever and whoever the decision makers are in Chicago at the end of all this to, to direct them in the right way. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Well, let's talk about it now. I mean, I, I think that I, I think if they're picking at the top of the draft, they're taking Caleb Williams no matter what, correct? Well, I would, but that's no guarantee that, that a team would. I mean, we saw last year Carolina pick Bryce Young, and I don't think I could have ever talked myself into that. So everybody has opinions. That's clear, and some are willing to act on them. Um, for me, Caleb Williams is by far the best option. I know there's some sentiment for uh, – Drake May, I, I've seen the film on both these guys, Mike. I just, I can't drink that Kool-Aid, not to that level. I watched game after game just recently. Um, Caleb Williams has a wow factor that very few have had, I think, the last five or six years coming out. And I don't think there's any way you could pass on him for another option um, just because you need one. Even if Caleb Williams is gone and say the second or third pick then, uh, came down to the Bears, I don't think they could take the Drake May course at any chance. I think that's they'd be in the same okay. boat for me as, as Carolina is for, with Bryce Young. But that's just my opinion. So everybody's yeah. going to have their own idea of what's right. But for us, what we're looking at here for Chicago is this is a race between Chicago, which has two lottery tickets for the first pick, their own and Carolina's, and the Giants yeah. to me. And the Giants are in a bad situation because – Daniel Jones is out. Tyrod Taylor's been out. They're going to have Tommy DeVito. They could easily, the Giants could easily have the number one pick too. But Yeah, you're going to have to put Arizona in the mix too, I'm afraid. But yes, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, and Arizona's yeah. going to be in that mix too, but has a ton of money committed to Kyler Murray in a way that could make it interesting at least in terms of what their owner wants to do and, and what would be the trade value of Kyler Murray and all of those types of things. So there is a there is an interesting race for that but to me if you're the bears it let's not let the remainder of this season talk us out of doing the right doing a no-brainer right it would have to be Justin well, fields coming back and being amazing being something totally unlike what he's been he would have to be a lead pipe lock cinch 
100% Pro Bowl guy for you not to pick a quarterback if you're if you yeah. have the same conviction I would in looking at Caleb Williams. So I think I don't see any way Justin Fields is really there next year unless they win a bunch of games and end well, up picking 10th or 12th and Carolina does the same, you know? Well, so what, but what if you, yeah, exactly though. What if you're uh, picking third, you know, that's an interesting deal and you don't, you know, you don't have as much, I don't know all the quarterbacks in the draft, but if you didn't have a Caleb Williams type conviction on somebody, then you're in an interesting spot having to declare as an organization, right? Yeah. I don't, again, everybody's going to do it yeah. different and, Hey, it's our show, so I guess that's we can give our yeah. own opinions. But I surely yeah. haven't seen it yet, and and I've seen most people uh, have as their at least in the top two Drake May, and I don't see it, Mike. I'm just yeah, I'm not there with him at all, and I know some other teams that aren't there with him either. Just so you know, yeah. that's just not Randy's opinion. So there are others in that boat as well. That again, and we've talked about it. Need can't trump conviction, valuing, and actually evaluating players. Your need can't trump everything. It's not fantasy football. It's really not because you're stuck with repercussions if you make that call and it turns out that it's not the right one. Yeah. Very fascinating. That's going to be really interesting down the stretch. Okay. Liked your column this week, Randy. You wrote uh, about a number of things. One of them was uh, when you talked about MVPs, you liked Joe Burrow, you liked Lamar Jackson. I think it's a really interesting discussion, uh, not just because we like awards, but just it really gets into the team component, the player component. Give me your thoughts on that, and then we can go back and forth a little bit because I got some too. Well, I arrived at it by considering it it's a quarterback award for one thing, and the best quarterbacks in the league are what they are. We all know. I happen to think Mahomes is still the best player in the league. Now, he may not be having the best year, but um, – He's to me, if we had a free agent draft of every player in the league, my guess is most GMs would pick Mahomes first if, he, if everybody was on the oh, street. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I don't see that being any different. Um, for my money, though, I think Joe Burrow might be the next selection based on the fact that his level of play when healthy, and we've seen that the last two or three weeks, I think he might be the best passer in the league, the best passer of the football, especially from the pocket. He's been off the chart. So I didn't pick him as the as the MVP either. I picked Lamar based on where he's been as we sit right now through nine weeks of the NFL season. I think Lamar's level of play is above where it was when he won the MVP in 19. I think the system that Todd Munkin brought from Georgia has accentuated Lamar's skill sets to where his level is is greater as a passer, and especially from the pocket, not to mention the job that Eric DaCosta and his staff have done to upgrade the people around Lamar on the perimeter that we cried about for years weren't very good. Well, guess what? They're all really good now, and the and the weapons are there. But I think Lamar has to be credited for upping his passing game, upping the fact that he's probably running less, and but he's extending player, plays more for the idea of throwing, not running. I think that's good. But still, to have that card in his back pocket of that explosive athleticism makes him pretty hard to stop, pretty hard to defend. I think he's having the best year. Um, where we sit here now a month from now, I might change. So I guess it's kind of a, a roundabout way of saying Lamar is the MVP, Joe Burrow might be the best passer, but Mahomes is the best player, if that makes any sense. That's, that gonna, was my opinion. You're anyway. going to call me, you're going to pat me on the head here, Randy, and call me stat boy for this, okay? <laughs> okay. I, I, am, I am stat boy for this. Roll it out. I'm with you. So... Career low, nine touchdown passes through nine games. I mean, he's always had 16, 15, whatever. Now, that's not that I don't think he's playing great. Here's what I think. 
at the quarterback position, we've had the MVP win it for, we've had a quarterback win MVP for 10 straight years. Gotcha. But to me, what I'm usually looking for in that is somebody who is really putting the team on their back because, hey, you know, we may not be that squared away on defense. So I mm-hmm. want to see somebody who's really carrying their team and the reason they win every week. And I feel like this year, the way defense has gone in the NFL, like Patrick Mahomes isn't doing that. He's got a top three defense. You could you could put in I mean, Mahomes hasn't had to be on fire for almost any of the games for them to win. And I feel like with the Ravens, it's the same deal. Their offense has been better, but their defense has allowed the same number of touchdowns as the 2000 Ravens did, nine and nine games. So if Lamar has a great week or an average week, they're still winning. If Mm -hmm. Lamar is a little bit below average this week, this last game, he was maybe 20 of 25 for, uh, let's see, did 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 he pass for 200 yards? The last two he, weeks, he's passed for 187, 157. You know, it's it's. Well, he not didn't play the, in the fourth quarter against Seattle, so that correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you, you, I would never look at the Ravens and say, "Wow, yeah." If it wasn't for this passing game and the way Lamar's playing, they wouldn't have a good record. Well, I they're would, playing complimentary football. Yeah. You're right, but yeah. yes, yeah. it's not a numbers based yeah. decision for me this year either. Yeah. So in the to me, in the absence of having a quarterback who's really driving it and carrying the team's success, uh, which we usually have, but I feel like we don't this year. I don't think we have one guy who's doing that. I sort of shifted then, okay, who's a non-quarterback that's putting up, you know, amazing production? And I think there's a couple receivers in Tyreek Hill and A.J. Mm-hmm. Brown. And I think even this year defensively, you we might have to look at somebody like a Miles Garrett because it just feels to me like defense is winning for, these, for a lot of these top teams. And we just don't have anyone who is on that type of a pace offensively where you go, wow, remember the year that Peyton Manning threw 55 touchdown passes? Or remember the year when Mahomes, with the 28th-ranked defense, won the Super Bowl? To me, that's almost kind of – maybe I maybe have a an out of – maybe I have a skewed expectation now of what these quarterbacks should be doing. But to me, that's kind of what I think of when I think of an MVP quarterback, not the guy who might be playing well – but just doesn't have to play well because they're so good on the defense. Well, I agree with your points, but I also think that, and you started the, your your uh, theory with this, you're a numbers guy. And yeah. I do think numbers don't show that this year, but I think Lamar is having a better year than his MVP year, regardless of the numbers. And that's why I say it's the complimentary football. It's the players around him. It's the perimeter players that are now in Baltimore, for example. But I do I do agree with you. I think Miles Garrett is right now probably having the best year of any defender in the league and, and is almost impossible to block as well. So it is probably a year for that. But I don't think it's because there's not one guy that's carrying a particular team through thick and thin. I think it's because the just the numbers don't parallel what yes. your eyes are telling you as far as Lamar playing good, as far as Joe Burrow playing good. I got pushed back in my argument a little bit from people that said, hey, wait a second, Joe Burrow didn't even play the first two or three games. Why does that matter? He's, he's If he leads his team deep into the playoffs, which I think he probably oh, yeah. will, he shouldn't be dinged for playing. He actually did play, and he played hurt, and that's how valuable he was to his team. They would rather have a 70% Joe Burrow than 100% backup. Anyone else, yeah. Yeah, yeah anyone yeah. else. So anyway, I didn't take that as yes. a— 
as a, as a, I thought it was a badge of courage more than anything that he did play, not that he shouldn't win the MVP because he hasn't been productive for 17 straight weeks. And I think as we're projecting what's going to happen over the rest of the season, I think it's likely that some of these quarterbacks do get a little bit more momentum and do build on what they've done. And so you could look at Lamar with the base of what they've got going here and say, look where this thing's headed. And then over the course of a season, they're just going to probably gel more offensively. And certainly Burrow. I mean, the first month of the season for Burrow, he could hardly walk. I mean, he wasn't good (laughs) the first month of the season. He's been great since then. And I think we're pretty comfortable saying that's going to continue. We we like the fundamentals of what we're seeing in in these situations is what we're saying. And if we project that out over the rest of the season, I think maybe we will see some of those uh, numbers come around and just some of the production come around. Uh, but I do, th- I do still in the back of my mind have that when, when the team, if you got a top five defense, I mean, we're going to win a lot of games. That and the fact that if Tyreek Hill does reach 2000 yards receiving, he's going to get a lot of votes and rightly so, because he's in rarefied air yeah. if that happens. Yeah. yeah. Like what would a non-quarterback have to do? Like no non-quarterback can be as quote unquote valuable as a quarterback. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But what does a guy have to do at a non-quarterback position to win this award? Are we just saying it's a quarterback award only? It has been for 10 years. But to me, there's a level of production that the quarterback has to have for me to look at it and say, that is MVP. Wow. Amazing. Otherwise, we're just not even considering any of the other players. Well, I agree with you totally. And I think this with regard to Tyreek Hill, because it's a great point and a whole nother structure, probably another block of time we could spend on it is I don't think you have to have the 2000 yards in a skill set like he has. Although I think that will get a lot of the numbers, people's attention. Sure. But I think Tyreek Hill changes the way people's people have to defend the Dolphins. And if the Dolphins continue to be good and get into the playoffs and even win a game or two, it can be a lot determined by the fact that Tyreek Hill has changed the way defenses play them. Just with that speed, just with everything else he does to compromise defenses. And so I think even without the productive numbers, Tyreek probably has to get oh, yeah. part of this conversation. And that, you know... Th- the dividing up the credit and all of this is interesting too, because Mike McDaniel's done such a great job of featuring him and utilizing him, and the, that pre-step motion stuff where he's got a full head of steam has yep. helped maximize him too. So it really is a team. We're looking for individual awards and a very much a team concept, and trying to give how much credit to who uh, yeah. can be just make for some fun discussions, and hopefully, no I doubt. think help us understand kind of what does go into winning. Because I think right. football is one of those. Football is a little bit of a rare sport where. We can't even always agree why the games are won and lost and what's most important. And I think, you know, in baseball, we see a trade being made and you know what that starting pitcher is going to do for your team. He's going to have a one-on-one matchup all year and we can kind of know the value of that. In the NBA, we might add one starter and you can, we can all see, wow, okay. In football, man, you're one of 22. Yeah. And we don't know, you know, and you put you in a little bit of a different light and suddenly people think you suck. Right. The wrong offense or the bad weaponry or don't have a good defense. You know, (laughs) it's harder. Last week was a great example of just what you're saying in my mind with the Dallas Cowboys. They lost to the Eagles. Dak played maybe his best game of the year. And analysts all week long were trying to figure out, are they good enough? Are they not good enough? Is Dak good enough? Is he not good enough? That expresses the point you're making right there. Nobody can agree on why they didn't beat the Eagles and what they would have to do going forward. Nobody can figure it out. The best minds in the game yeah. can't study it and figure it out. So you're right. It, it's it, Football is different. 
I got such a big smile now because you robbed from the GM notebook. That's in the GM notebook. We got Dak oh, in it there. Is? And you, you brought up Jack <laughs> and you just stole from the notebook. So uh, it's not just me. We will go. We were, that's still uh, in there. We dang. got a little Dak point in there. I couldn't um, help myself. Hey, okay. Hey, while you and our wonderful producer, Tanika, were waiting for me to show up today. Okay. <laughs> I thought I had well, all we this We were time. punching the clock and you were having well, trouble were getting asking, your hey, time card okay? in. Here's Mueller's text. I got Mueller's text right here. Uh, <laughs> 9.05 a.m. because we do this at 9 a.m. You okay? Yeah, adding in something now regarding the MVP after the MVP discussion. We are rolling. <laughs> so, what I should have so. said is, what are you getting breakfast too? Or we, let us know when you're done with breakfast so we can oh start. Oh my gosh, know? it was so great. It was so great. I didn't have a care in the world. But okay, one of the things I added while you were while you guys were sitting there waiting for Santa to show up, um, <laughs> I had written a column this week on the Bills. And I think the Bills are a fascinating team. Uh, and so I had done a stat boy column this week, Randy. Stat, <laughs> stat boy, all boy column. I did a stat boy column. I've got different. I've got different capabilities, Randy. I can do. A, we. I can talk to the old school football guys and do a piece on that what they think, and I can do. I can do stat boy stuff too that the analytics director likes, right? So I got you. Um, you know, and this one comes from that. So I just watched. Uh, watched the Bills this season, and then I watched. I love to watch the narratives that come out around the teams. And we got this week Sean McDermott's being asked if he's going to replace his offensive coordinator. Ken Dorsey's being asked, the offensive coordinator of the Bills, if the players have lost confidence in it. And I'm going, oh, ho, 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 hold on a minute here. <laughs> yeah. I get it. The offense doesn't look, you know, whatever, doesn't look as the game's not as easy, whatever. But they are across the board top five offensively, not just since uh, Ken Dorsey's been there. But this season, even in their right. losses, their offense has been better than their defense mm -hmm. by wide margins. To me, the number one thing that has changed there for Buffalo is that their defense isn't quite as good. They're not getting the short fields. They're not right. getting the easy points. They're not getting sort of the momentum that accrues and from just having it easy and, and making it to where if your offense has a bad series or two, no big deal. The score right. didn't change. I think that's what they've had. They've been so good defensively that it's made the offense seem easier. But production-wise this year, it is what it is. I mean, the offense has been productive. And so my biggest concern for Buffalo is kind of almost uh, from a leadership standpoint, I keep waiting for someone there to just take a deep breath and go, relax, like Rogers. Relax, mm -hmm. guys. Hey, we're five and four. The last two years, we were six and three. It's one game. Our offense ranks top five in the league, and we don't even feel good about it. We don't even feel good about our offense. We had a top five offense. Now, guys, we have some challenges. Our defense has had some injuries. We're, we're not making excuses. It is what it is. I'm the head coach here. I've called the defense. We're going to be okay. Yeah. And I just don't, I don't feel that. I kind of feel the, oh, my God, it's not the same. And that's what concerns me more than the offense. How about you? Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I think the narrative for the most part has been, has the window closed for the Bills this year? And I agree yeah. with you. Your column hit the nail on the head. I don't think it's about their offense at all. I'll say this. If there ever was a team, this is just my opinion, ever was a team that needed a buy, the Bills need a buy. The Bills have been, I think, gasping for air ever since they made the trip across the pond to London. I think they look a little tired. They look dead in the legs. They've had a lot go on. And I think they're one of the teams, I think, that has one of the latest buys, if I, if I read my Week notes right. Week 13 buy. Yeah, there you go. They could use that right now. But having said that, I am with you. My issue with them has not been on offense. 
It's not been how Josh Allen's taking care of the ball or now he's not taking the risks. It's been defensively. I think they've gotten old and I think they've gotten injured. And those are the two things that bother me on defense. I thought I saw this last week. The safeties prior 21, the other safety hide, uh, those guys have uh, not been what they've been in the past. I'll just phrase it like that. They haven't been what they've been in the past. I saw them get run by a couple times and they had no juice in their legs. And that could be from the fact that, like I said, they need a buy, they need some rest, they need to get some rejuvenation. It's just not there. And you've mentioned that they've had tons of injuries, especially to the middle of their defense. Milano, who's been their heart and soul, their glue guy, out. Defensive lineman, out. We talked about it last week. They haven't been able to replace those guys. So Von Miller's been in really uh, a shadow of what we grew up watching Von Miller be. Hasn't happened for him. So they're struggling on defense, no doubt. And how they solve it, I don't know. They tried to, Rasul Douglas, you know, made the trade for him at the deadline last week. I don't know that he's going to make a difference. They're hurting in the secondary right now and they're having trouble keeping up with people. So that's a big problem for me. And they may have to be more aggressive in in constructing a rush in sub packages and on third down to make up for the fact that they can't run and cover like they used to. So time will tell, but that's where I would point if I was going to place some some insecurities would be on defense now. And, and that's not all Sean McDermott's fault just because he's taken over the defense this year. I think they have some personnel issues that are going to have to be fortified maybe before they make another run. And I don't think their window's closing. It's never going to close with Josh Allen. See, that was a good little conversation. Or it was worth waiting ten minutes for me to show up today to get that. Yeah, in. that's great. We got a delay it. game call, so we delay had third and twenty instead of third and five. Third and twenty. But we might have had two or three delay game calls. But, but we you're got a it. tier one co-host. We can handle third and twenty. <laughs> that's not a problem. You're perfectly confident and, co- and strong in the pocket. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you change. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, next on our list was the Arthur Smith personnel issue discussion, Bijan Robinson, Kyle Pitts. So Bijan Robinson, eighth pick in the draft, elite running back and weapon, we would all agree. Has played in every game this year, but ranks seventh among Falcons skill players in red zone snaps. We got Drake London 63, Johnny Smith 53, Kyle Pitts 53, Pruitt 47, Algier 41, Mac Collins 40, and Bijan Robinson 39. I tried to listen to Arthur Smith's explanation of it. It kind of went around in circles. I have to give him credit. He has not been as snippy the last few weeks. I don't know if it's been a little bit of a humbling time the last couple of weeks, but he has. I think he has done a better job of kind of explaining this stuff and showing patience uh, with the questions. So I give him some points for that, but I didn't really fully understand or get much from it. Red zone touches this season, Algier 26. B. John Robinson 12 is next. John U. Smith and Drake London 6. All right, that's my stat boy stuff for you, Randy. You know all of those things just from watching. You have a feel for those things just from watching what's going on. As a GM, what are you thinking? Well, the conversations, I'm sure, are ongoing. They have to be had. Um, When you pick a tight end as high as they did, and you pick a running back, top 10, who you all think is elite, and he is not the focal point of your offense, that's a problem. If we think Tyler Algier or one of these other guys is a better option than um, B. John Robinson, we got problems, man. I mean, why would we take B. John Robinson? If Tyler Algier is better than B. John Robinson at any one thing, any one thing, you wouldn't draft B. John Robinson. So the, the explanations, like you said, maybe are starting to make sense. I would struggle with that as a GM. It's one of the reasons that I would never consider drafting a tight end as high as they did is because I've been down this road and I'm just saying because I'm older, I've been around a little bit. Coaches struggle to get tight ends involved in offenses. They have to go outside their scheme most of the time to make that happen. And they tire of that because there's only 50 plays in a game. You can't script a tight end in five of them so he gets his touches. It's just not possible. So even though a tight end you may view as being a great tight end, he's still a tight end. And if he's going to be the focal point of your offense, it's probably going to be a struggle. And everybody says, oh, Jason Kelsey or uh, Travis Kelsey, blah, blah, blah. He's rare. He's completely rare. He's the best receiver they have in so many ways. It's it's not fair to compare him to any of these other guys. With an eight-year rapport with his quarterback or five-year, six-year rapport, yeah. So it's just not going to happen. So some of these 
fights or some of these, not fights, some of these dilemmas that you have that have popped up in Atlanta now should have been discussed before they drafted these guys. And, and maybe they were. But I, I don't understand why we're not playing B. John Robinson. Uh, I, I heard one of the explanations was, well, he creates a lot of doubt when we use him as a decoy. Get out of here. Come on, stop. We're going to use B. John Robinson as a decoy more than we're going to use him in the red zone to run the ball. I mean, some of us thought he might have been the best player in the draft, okay? So we need to find a way to get him the ball. If he can't, if B. John Robinson can't take our scheme to a higher level than the X's and O's of the staff, then we've made a mistake. I think one of the big selling points for Barkley, Saquon Barkley in New York, and we said this early on in his evaluation was, he makes your offense better than what your coaches can scheme because he gets more yards than you have mapped out for that play to get. I think Bijan Robinson is the same way, but if he never feels and gets a chance for, to play in that role, he'll never extend. There's probably some stat for that, Mike, uh, points or yards above expected yeah, on each play, right? Yeah. Well, uh, Bijan Robinson will get you more yards than your play is expected to get because of your design. So that's a problem. And as far as the Drake London pick, I mean, that's another top 10 player, a receiver, Without game-changing speed, um, you can fight that battle before you pick him. But once you pick a guy like that, he'd better be the focal point as much as you can as well. So I guess my point is we've used top picks to be difference makers on offense, and none of them are difference makers. So where does that blame lie? I don't know. You've got well, to talk about your evaluated no. process. You've got to talk about how we're using them. Those are the two areas where I would start. It's so fascinating to me because I think we – there's a reason Arthur Smith got this head coaching job. It was for the work that he did on offense with the Titans, right? Yeah. And I don't think any of us were watching that going, Arthur Smith sucks at offensive No, quality. I agree. And I'm not None saying he saying does it. now. Yeah. I'm not saying he does now either. Yeah. But it's just so fascinating to me that this can be a problem. Like, wait a minute, who else do you want designing the offense than the guy who got hired because he was because of his offense? But it seems like his system it's, is, is it about his system and you have to make this more of a game of matchups? Exactly. I think sometimes coaches get caught in the sacred of their system. Hey, you, you used to hear the snide comments on the side, uh, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, those guys used to say, is it the system or is it the player? And they would, they would snicker, right? When someone would say, oh, it's Bill Walsh's system. It's Bill Walsh's system. Well, they, they kind of thought it was about the player. And Rightly so. Some of these systems, and not to that extent, but some of these offensive systems are so sacred in the way they do things, it is all about the system. And they don't care how good the player is. If that's the case, I don't want to be around it, okay? I think it's a player's game, and, and it is about matchups for me. And I want to see our best players playing, and I want to see them the focal point of our schemes. That, to me, is a really good system, one that features our best players and the skill sets that they bring. No one's really asking Mike McDaniel why he's not using... His guys, right? Why do you think that? Because he's using them. Yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> he's using them all the time. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad idea. And and think of that. So just think of if Mike McDaniel were coaching the Falcons, how different it would probably look, right? For the usage of the players. Bijan Robinson would be sleeping good at night. I can tell you that because he'd be getting ridden hard every every week. Yeah, he would have his carries for sure. It's just interesting to me, even though we we agree that Arthur Smith is a good offensive coach. Like, yeah. you have to be able to. This is something that seems like it needs to be bridged. Uh, to no really doubt, get the most and, out of it. And maybe that's something the organization needs as much as anything. 
and from 30,000 feet from across the country, maybe they need a little glue in that building somewhere somehow to bring that together, to help that. Terry Fontenot, I know, like him a lot, first time GM, really never been through this before. Doesn't have a lot to, to, to really bounce this off of, um, other than he was with Mickey in New Orleans for a lot of years, so maybe he can, he can draw from that. Arthur Smith, again, first time head coach. A lot of times it's the glue in the building that that allows you to overcome any of these kind of hurdles. And I think these are hurdles that can be overcome, but you'd hope that they didn't have to learn their job on the, on the job training at this level. So how do you bridge that when, as a personnel person, there's different levels, obviously, of knowledge of scheme and, and football that a personnel person could have. But in general, the, that's the coach's area, and they're going to have a better understanding of everything, right? They're going to be able to a coach mm-hmm. going to the board and diagramming everything in there would be way more advanced than even a really good personnel evaluator typically, right? At the just the super fine points of of scheme, right? So mm-hmm. does that make it hard then to go to them with concerns? What do you do when you have a coach? Like we can kind of, let's just make a couple of assumptions here on, on Arthur Smith. He's been a little prickly when people have challenged him uh, a little bit. And mm-hmm. he's admitted that, you know, it's sometimes he makes some flip comments so that, that, give the impression that it might be hard to go to him and say, Hey coach, what about this? Right. He might be sort right. of annoyed by that. I think a lot of coaches are, I mean, it kind of reminds me of the old Jim Mora stuff, you know, when Jim Mora would just kind of couldn't take it when people were, uh, he was a really good coach, but mm-hmm. he would try to lecture the media or whoever that you guys have no idea. How do you, is that a tough thing to bridge internally or you talk about difficult conversations. Does it take two to have those conversations? What do you do if you think, if you're kind of afraid of the coach not taking it well? Well, I do think the level of skins on the wall matter when you have these conversations. I think it is harder. I remember when I first started out, uh, sometimes those conversations were hard because you don't have the, the, the thickness of skin. You don't have the same conviction and confidence. And frankly, sometimes as a younger administrator, you didn't have the wherewithal to, to time your mentioning of this and bring it up in a, in a, in a fashion. I just remember this, and, and I got this from Bill Parcells many years ago. Bill Parcells said, and he had this relationship with Dick Haley, and I probably talked about it on the show before. He used to tell me, he said, kid, just make sure you hire a coach that you can have the hardest of conversations with and, and use him as a sounding board and vice versa. He said, Dick Haley and I can say anything to each other at any time. And even if it's outside our lane, we, we, we tend to sit back, listen, take it for what it's worth, and then discuss it. And once we leave the room, it doesn't change our relationship at all. So these relationships are are built on, I think, awkward conversations. They're built on good times too, but you've got to be able to have that. But yes, your point is valid. You have to have a certain amount of cachet to be able to have certain conversations yeah. at the highest level, because let's face it, there are egos involved on both sides. And I do think it's helpful to have a lesser ego if you're on the administrative side so that you can hear it out and bring oh, yeah. it up at the right time. Yeah, it's just a hard thing to wade, to wade into another person's expertise at a yes. stressful time during the season. 100%. Time, 100%. <laughs> and, yep, I agree. You know, I mean, that's a de- delicate deal to do uh, yeah. when everybody's already, you know, on edge possibly after a couple of losses. Like you always say, we're three weeks away from a mutiny <laughs> at any yeah. time during the season. Um, hey, we had mentioned before uh, on this podcast the Michigan sign stealing situation. You'd kind of earmarked it as something maybe we talk about this week. And you sketched in some thoughts, but I wanted to kind of 
go back to the very basic of this. I think I can benefit from learning this. I think our, our uh, most of our listeners probably can. I want to just start really basic here, Randy, because we hear a lot being said about sign stealing. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh and Michigan are under fire for uh, possibly breaking some rules uh, with their advanced scouting guy uh, stealing signals from the opponents. I just want to start at square one. Forget the stealing part. What are teams using signs to communicate? What are the mechanics? Is it the same in college as pros? Let's just be real basic. Let's start there. Well, I think for one thing, the college game is different um, and the pro game has evolved. And my point of reference strictly is from the NFL side. And as the pro scouting director for the Seahawks for, I don't know, 15 years or so, I was the advanced scout. So I spent many a year, many a week on the road trying to gleam information that we couldn't get on tape. And what you do is when you go to these other games, you teams signal in for one thing, personnel groupings. They signal they used to signal in plays themselves, but they had all kinds of formulas and and plays, especially on the defensive side, uh, back in the day, to send in defenses. And Signaling it's changed with their hands on the sideline. With their the hands from the sidelines. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then you see this in college, especially now, where they line up four or five guys in Dutch boy paints outfits and with a bunch of poster board and and make yeah. it into a game because the reason they're doing that is they're trying to throw the opposing sidelines off what they're trying to do. So there's never a rule, at least at the NFL level, against trying to decipher what the other teams are doing. Shoot, I'll say this, Mike, in, in the early 80s when I was doing our advanced scouting with the Seahawks, I remember going to a specific NFL game and it took me about a quarter and a half. This is just an example of the simplistic nature of sending in plays and signals. Uh, an NFL team, when on offense, when it was a running play, one coach would send in the play. When it was a passing play, another coach would send in the play. So I'm from That's, Idaho, yeah. but I, I'm, yeah. I'm at least smart enough to be able to figure that out after a while. So we knew when we played this team the next week, we knew if it was going to be a run or a pass. Now, the hard part is, what do you do with that information? And that's the big thing is, can you get it, one, through a coach on the sideline, to a player on the field, to when it matters? Because time is of the essence, right? And so that's part of the issue is you've got to, even in, in the Michigan case, uh, they've got to, they've, or, or, or let's just use Spygate. I'll stay in the NFL. Spygate, nothing the Patriots did was wrong until they got to the point where videotaping was involved. And if, okay. if, yeah. if that is involved, then that's where the NFL drew the line in, in rules. There was never a problem with, with intercepting personnel signals or really even play signals, coverage signals. Defen defenses were the last part of, of the mm, signal capers to jump on board because offenses ended up having speakers in their helmets sooner than, than any other position. Yeah, as I say, they both so, have that now. So why are we yeah. having it? We, in the NFL, there's not a lot of signaling going on to the same way, right? We, we Except that, that personnel signals now are still an issue, depending on if you want 11 personnel or 12 personnel or 21 We're going to see that real quick anyway. As, as You're going to see it fairly quick, but it used to be that they would always signal it in because the guys on the sidelines have to know too. So right. it, you, yeah. you, had, you, you don't want to wait until these two tight ends come into the huddle and who see who runs yeah. out to actually get the so. personnel group. So there is a signal that's given. And for the most part, that still happens in most cases. Now, that's the elementary part of it. it yeah. There's different levels of it that happen all the time. And it's been for years 
taken as people in the NFL, people really in, in any football game. I went to a high school game. My buddy was a coach. Shoot, I used to have the personnel signals for him halfway through the first quarter. It was just commonplace. And, and it's not illegal. It's not against the rules. It's just you're trying to yeah. better your chances to know what the other team's going to do. Where it gets sticky and where the problem comes is when you have the technology involved. And that's really what what got New England in trouble. So yeah, videoing, what what's the huge advantage of having it on video? Well, the, the, the idea of, of gathering the information, for one thing, on signals is, is part of it. Once you gather the information, then you got to take that information back to your office and, and decipher it by looking at the film. So you exactly match up the signals with what you saw on tape. And if, if you can find some kind of a pattern, then you have something to go on. Then you have to take that information that you've matched up on film and somebody on the sidelines has to get at the end of the at the end of each play someone has to get the signal for the next play and then actually get it into the game with a player who can do something with it when he gets there so the chain of communication I'm probably confusing the hell out of people but no. the chain of this the line of communication is three and fourfold before the player can get it on the field to even do anything about it so it's convoluted as to how it works you might be finding out what the safety can already tell just by looking at the players possibly the offense yes <laughs> it's not like it can affect every play now when it can affect plays and which i again i, I don't want to get into spygate because i don't know all the details of it but where where it really got nasty was when the patriots had an earpiece in tom brady's ear and they're getting information to him from the sidelines all the way up to the snap as, yeah, as you know that was happening yeah that yeah. that was happening or or that was allegedly allegedly happening and sometimes you could push the film to the point where you could almost see Tom cover his ears at five seconds when he wasn't supposed to be getting any information and getting that information. So anyway, there's there's levels of it. it okay. It's not like it was 20 years ago where you could go pick somebody blind. I used to have fun with Nick Saban. We used to laugh about it together in Miami. When he was Belichick's defensive coordinator in Cleveland, I remember flying to games, sitting in the press box and, and recording all of his signals of him. And so I used to kid him. I'd say, Nick, I already got your signals. I got a whole file of them. What, <laughs> yeah. what are you trying to hide from? I already got what we're going to do. And he used to bristle and laugh. And of course, we yeah. were kidding yeah. at the time, but that kind of stuff happened. So you used to build files on specific coaches. And if a coach would leave and go to a different team, you still had the file on, on what his signals yes. were. So now let's talk a little bit about Michigan situation. So just mm -hmm. from what you've seen of that, uh, what do you think? Well, I think the rules are different in college. They apparently don't allow pe people to travel to scout for one thing. You clearly can't videotape anything. That's never been the case. And, and I guess they have um, investigated that enough to where they think they have evidence of that. Um, you definitely could never be on the sidelines of an opposing team. They've got records of that as well. That's so amazingly like, brazen. Yeah. That's out, I mean, that's almost like, I almost think it's outstanding. Like, hey, if you're doing that, that's just, like, how could somebody be on your sideline and we don't know who it is? Well, like, for example, they have pictures of this guy on the central Michigan sideline looking across that Michigan state stealing their signals. Now, that has to be you can't tell me that central Michigan doesn't know who this guy is. He's wearing central Michigan gear. So it's a convoluted long term trail of evidence that's equivalent to 
tracking a wounded deer five miles across a timberland. You know, you just drops here, drops there. Eventually you might find the deer died or you might not, you know, that's the way this is. So there's a lot of evidence there that I don't know how they could do this investigation in two weeks or however long it's been. I, I'm kind of with Michigan on let's let due process take its course. But all of the, this long-winded answer I'm giving you is there's a lot of technology involved now and that's the bottom line. That's what's got everybody up in arms is the technology of this. Is your initial impression, uh, oh, I can't believe it, I'm appalled and I hope that Jim Harbaugh never coaches again or is it kind of like, come on, this is probably happening everywhere or where in between are you? I don't think it's something to push under the rug if they videotape stuff and if they're on yeah. the sidelines of the opposing team and other teams are involved in the conspiracy. I think that's dead wrong. But I'll say this, having kind of been involved in around this for a lot of years, I never had a conversation with the head coach about it ever. Yeah. So although Jim Harbaugh may get penalized for it, he can say I'm not aware of it. And he's probably not lying. He's probably telling the truth. He isn't aware of it. Because I, I, I know when we would do this at the NFL level, the head coach was never involved. And I don't know how much he ever knew. And that happened for years. So he yeah. could yeah. have deniability that was plausible. Yeah. I don't think... The sign ceiling is the difference in a 49 nothing win, you know. No, I don't at all. Again, and I think you've got to have a lot of things in place to get advantage of this once or twice in a game. Once or twice. I've been around quarterbacks at the NFL level that used to say, nope, I don't want it. It's too much. I, I can't tell you. I know you can tell me when they're going to blitz, but I can't deal with it right now. So it, you'd have to have the right people in place with the right quarterback, for example, or the right defensive back who can who can do something with the information if you do get it to him in a timely fashion, one out of 10 times. So there's a lot to go into it. Shows the luxury of having the ability to have as big of a staff as you want. I think of like the old days of football when, yeah. you know, NFL teams had like five assistant coaches, you know, and we're, we got guys now on the college side, then they don't even know who they are. Yeah. Yeah, who's this guy? I don't know. Is this your nephew? No, yeah. no I think he's some special <laughs> ops guy we hired. He's uh, deciphering yeah. the signals. He's reading, you know, the other thing. Oh, okay, great. Crazy. Interesting. There's a lot to it. Let's dive next into the, let's just go straight to the GM notebook here. What do you got in there? Well, we've talked about a couple of things. And, there's and only two items in here, but there's some, but they're good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I talked a little bit about the Lamar and Burrow and I, and the reason I came to the conclusion I did for the MVP deal is because I looked at a lot of tape. And the conclusion I came to, which doesn't surprise anybody, is that the groups of perimeter players that those guys are throwing to now, I think probably are the best in the league. Um, what Baltimore has done to the receiving core is not upgraded it one level or two levels. They've upgraded it to the top floor. Been really good. Um, Joe Burrow's receivers, I didn't realize, and maybe it's just me, Mike, I didn't realize they were as good as they are, but they are really good. I think these groups are game changers, uh, better than Kansas City's perimeter players, better than Buffalo's players, better than Jacksonville players. The only group maybe that you can make an argument with was Miami as far as perimeter players that might be comparable as a room, as a whole. Philly, maybe. Philly. Well, I'm just talking, yeah, I was considered with it, with AFC teams in this oh, case because gotcha. they're AFC. all AFC right. guys. Okay, uh, I but yeah, I, I would think Philly's in the mix, uh, probably on defense as well. Dallas isn't in the mix. 49ers not in the mix. Uh, they've just got a lot of guys and a lot of good players. So I just think it gives them, one, more options to where to throw the ball and who to throw it to, but it also gives them some options for depth down the road. If those teams get a receiver hurt, they've got a lot bigger margin for error because they've got some guys that can replace them. 
So you said we won't. I'm a little surprised on Baltimore because I think, hey, Mark Andrews, outstanding. I see Zay Flowers, promising rookie. But the rest, Nelson Aguilar, Aguilar Odell Beckham, Rashad Bateman, um, you got a lot of confidence in those guys? I do. I think they're all really good. And throw in Isaiah Likely as Andrews backup. As a group, that's five or six guys that I think any yeah. one of those guys could go win a game for you. And that was what I probably learned more about that group than I did about the quarterbacks when I looked at the tape. That's all. Interesting. I think, I think yeah. they're all group, all as a group, good. Isaiah Likely, that name's familiar. I don't know if we talked about him in the draft or not last year. <laughs> I thought someone would make a number one tight end. Yeah, he's turned out pretty good. I'm surprised someone hasn't made a run at him to try to get him from them. I guess, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, there's enough teams looking for tight ends like him. He probably won't be there long term because I know Andrews is signed. The other yeah, thing okay. I had in the, the yeah. other thing I had in the notebook was was the Cowboys and the fact that they lost to the Eagles last week. And we talked a little bit about this. Most thought Dak played his best game. I would agree with that. Um, but what really came through for me, again, from studying the tape was, you know, last year Dak threw all those interceptions and he was criticized for it. Um, I think this year, and this may not be a good thing, but it's caused him to be more risk averse in his decision making. I don't think he is willing to let it rip like he has. And I just think in the back of his mind, he says, I'm not going to put up with this crap anymore. I'm not going to be killed for throwing too many interceptions. And I think for that reason now, I do see him leaving some plays out there. I think he hesitates a little bit to pull the trigger on some throws that in the past he may have done. Uh, maybe he's just getting smarter about it, but I hate to see him pull back too much because I think at some point he's going to have to make some of these plays. He's going to have to become more of a playmaker and not a caretaker. And I thought I saw a little bit of that, especially in the Eagles game where some guys were open and there were some tight window throws, but he didn't want to take the risk. And I say that with a little smirk in that I just think the past has affected him slightly. That's all. I, I think Dak is good enough to get this team to a Super Bowl. There's been a lot worse quarterbacks that have led their teams. So I think, and I like Zach, I like Dak, I think at some point for them to advance, he's going to have to let it rip and not be too careful. And, and I see him a little bit careful at times because he doesn't want to make that mistake that gets him criticized well, for what he did last year. I don't know if that makes sense yeah, to you. I'm going to take it a step farther than that. So I think that Mike McCarthy has been super up front for two years about we're going to play to the strength of this team, which he says is defense. And to me, that's telling when you have the offensive coach who now is directly connected to the quarterback. There's no Kellen Moore in between. Mm -hmm. So if Mike McCarthy thought that Dak Prescott was amazing and we really wanted to run the offense through him, don't you think he'd want to be doing that? Now, I realize they have a talented defense, but to me, everything we're seeing signaled here, and you can put that those interceptions in part of the context from last year, part of this is we don't want Dak to – we don't want to bet on Dak. Now, it could it. All, the best side of it could be we don't feel like we need to bet on Dak because we have a good defense. That would be the positive spin on it. But I see it more like don't want to bet on him. And it's interesting just in talking to some coaches this year who have played against them. I was just looking through my notes – you know, one of them said, you know, they're keeping it simple. A lot of half field reads, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. And to me, mm -hmm. that's the, that's a pulling into the reins that even goes beyond Dak. Dak is obviously perceptive to what the head coach wants to do. And this yep. just feels like an organizational decision to play this way, which will reduce those turnovers, but maybe also 
reduces your ceiling, right? I totally agree. I think Dak is still capable of making wow plays, without a doubt. He can. Now, he's not quite the athlete that he was five years ago, but hey, who is? I think he can still make plays with his legs. I think he probably makes that touchdown run that he stepped out of bounds in the Eagles game a week ago, if it were two or three years from now, or definitely before he got hurt. But I do think there's wow plays left in his arm. He got plenty of arms still, and the ball does come out nice. But I agree with you. I think they have made a concerted effort to reel him in. We'll see at the end of the day if that's good enough. I just think at some point they're going to have to let Dak let it rip. I'm not saying it's now, but maybe it's as we get closer to the end or playoff time. I think you're right. There's more in that tank for him that he just hasn't expended. And maybe it is Mike. Maybe it is yeah. the scheme. Maybe it is the past, but it is what it is. There's a lot of people in the league. I would say the majority of people that I talk to about quarterbacks think that he just has to have a really good run game to, to be good. And otherwise he's not. Well, I agree with that. I'm going to hit on that in a column next week. I write about the Cowboys. And, and I think some of that is based on, I think Dallas has done just my opinion, they have not done a good job of identifying and evaluating their own players. And I think that has held them back a little bit in the long run. They've anointed players early. They have mis-evaluated some and spent money on them that they aren't that good. And, And that's part of the reason why they haven't, in my opinion, got over the hump and gotten better. They've seemed like to be stuck in their same rut the last two or three years. Yeah. I like the little tease to the column next week. We are now, we've arrived at the moment of the picks. We were uh, a combined five and two last week, so a little bit better. I went two and one, was correct on Cincinnati, uh, and was correct on the Raiders. Uh, I was wrong on Seattle by a lot. Uh, second time I picked against Baltimore and paid it, paid just taking the pit, the points. Randy, you were three and one. No, I guess I'm 13, 11 and 13 for the year. You're 10, 10 and 1. We've rallied a little bit here after a couple of tough weeks. You were correct on Cincinnati, Washington, and Baltimore, not on the Jets. What do you see this week? I see um, struggles for Randy and his picks, but I will say this. Last week, I seemed to have some conviction on the picks. This yeah. week, not so much. We should have to attach a confidence number to our picks when we make them right. A, a one through <laughs> 10 saying, I really believe this one or I don't believe that one. Hey, how many chips you willing to bet on each pick would be kind of Yeah, a, that's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. I think any better, and they probably do. I'm just an idiot. I'm yeah. a slow learner. I think anybody that does that for a living has to go with a confidence conviction number oh, yeah. when they do make a bet. And there may be some weeks where I don't make a bet, you know, yeah. if I did oh, yeah. this for a living. It just the way yeah. it is. I don't like the games. I don't see anything that jumps out at me. So I yeah. just can't make a bet. You know, I gotta I gotta stay on my own, you know, ground, so to speak. So anyway, it, it, here's how crazy I am. I'm gonna pick against two teams that I think have a reasonable chance to go to the Super Bowl this year, just based <laughs> on point spreads. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That that's nuts. I'm going to take Cleveland in a division game in in <laughs> Baltimore, right? I just spent five minutes raving about Lamar Jackson, how good I think Cleveland's you know defense is. But I, I think Cleveland has a good defense. I think Miles Garrett is problematic for any offense. I like Jim Schwartz. Um, I think where they're at in the game plan against Lamar serves them well. I'm not saying they can beat Baltimore. But Cleveland's getting six and a half points, which I'll gladly take. And, yeah, uh, I'd be more worried about the Cleveland offense side of that equation against the Baltimore defense. But I, I am joking here. I got my hands far apart. We got 
on one hand, we got Randy's money. On the right hand, we got his mouth. He did not put his money where his mouth yeah. was fully <laughs> on this. But the point spread is a interesting thing. I also think these defenses in the AFC North have a better chance and a better read on what to do against yes. Baltimore. And I think there's, there's a reason why that whatever Lamar's record is against the NFC is 18-1 and one or something. It's striking. It really and here's is. my trump card with this matchup. I yeah. think Cleveland can run the ball on anybody. And I think they will try to do that, and they will stick with the run. And I think that is a pretty good kryptonite for Lamar if he can't get on the field. And yeah. I think Cleveland will control the ball more than most. And you're right. These division games, there's no secrets. They can game plan against each other pretty good. So yeah. that's the one game yeah. I'm for. The, the other game I'm taking is I'm going to take Jacksonville at home, getting three points against the 49ers who I know they've lost three in a row, but I still think they'll be a participant in the NFC Championship. I like San Francisco. Um, I just think that the points at home for a confident Jacksonville team that's won five in a row, getting three points, I like it. So I'm going to take the points. So so I have Jacksonville and I have Cleveland in my two games this week. You know what's interesting about the 49er-Jacksonville uh, game is both teams are coming off a bye. Mm-hmm. You know, So this is a Super Bowl type of matchup, right? Where you have mm-hmm. all this, both teams having all this extra time for injuries, for... Uh, catching your breath for scheming for really uh, there's an you know this is a little bit of a sidelight but i think of you know the jet the jaguars gm used to be the gm of the 49ers i mean there's just some interesting sort of ties here uh, to this and i'm not sure what to make of it i I really i think i'm going to stay away from that game because i feel like i wouldn't be surprised by either outcome it just feels like Mm -hmm. hey if if jacksonville won by six points or if the 49ers if the 49ers could to me, the 49ers could lose or win by 14. And I'm I just not really <laughs> sure what to yeah. make of them because uh, those three games can't overly skew us. I, but at the same time, you know, uh, it's just a it's a great game going into yep. it. I'm going to stay away from it. So I got you. Uh, I'm not picking really overly sexy games. I'm going to take the Colts and give two points to the Patriots. If it was three, I probably wouldn't do it. But um, I think it could be a field goal game. And I just feel frequently this season like whoever's playing New England, I kind of like them uh, a little bit. So I've liked the coaching job that Shane Steichen's done this year. I think they have done some decent things on offense for what they have. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm not getting a huge reaction from you, Mueller. I'm not seeing big smiles, but what do you think of that game? Um, I just, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of interest in the Colts and uh, the Patriots are a team that I understand your theory. I would stay away from. I just struggle with what the Colts are week in and week out, but they are improving. They're a little bit better. I'm with you. I, I like Steichen. I think he's a good coach. I don't. I don't disagree with that pick. I yeah, just. Yeah, I don't. Love, I don't have I probably the conviction. The, yeah. yeah, I didn't love a lot of the picks. Um, the other one, I, I wasn't sure what to do on, but I'm going to take the Vikings against the Saints at home and and take the three points. I just like three mm-hmm. points at home. This would yep. put New Orleans at five and five entering the bye with some question marks. And that just seems kind of appropriate from where they're at. Now, I did not think that I think this would be five wins in a row for the Vikings. I don't know that I feel that great about where they're at, but or the sustainability of this whole thing without Kirk Cousins. But yeah, I think they're playing with some energy. Uh, I think the defense seems to be improving. Uh, the Saints have enough question marks. So just in that kind of environment there. I'm just going to sort of let it ride a little bit on the mojo that uh, Kevin O'Connell and those guys have going in Minnesota. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's um, worth considering. I worry about Dobbs in a bounce back game. I think that's as good as you're going to get. I don't think it could ever be topped. Um, I do have faith in Kevin 
having a good scheme, no matter who the quarterback is. Um, maybe Dobbs this week will actually know the names of the guys in the huddle with him. I mean, that's a great story in itself. I think the Saints might just be a little too much for them, but I do like yeah. the game. I will be interested in watching it, and uh, I'll be rooting for your your side in that one. Yeah, it'd just be fun. So I didn't love I didn't love a lot of the picks this week. What would the line yeah. have to be in the Giant game against the Cowboys for you? to take the Giants. So it was 17 points yeah. for the Cowboys. If it was 21, would you take them? I mean, what's the number? Yeah, I would. I, actually, I don't think 17 is, is crazy. And, and, and I'm talking about the Giants side because I think the Giants will find a way to muster up enough. Um, I, I, you mentioned, and we didn't talk about it, the, the dispute a couple of players had with Wink Martindale on defense last week. Yeah, I think yeah, that gets yeah. yeah, that gets solved a little bit this week. Seventeen points is a lot of points in the NFL, man. I'm telling you, that's a lot. So it is. I was kind of tempted to do it. I just can't. Yeah, muster um, w- with what they're do- what they've got on offense with the Giants. Yeah, I know it's situation. Tommy it's DeVito, just, whoever he is. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's a tough one, but I don't love the ones that I've got here. So I'm going to err on the side of only picking two instead of that one week when I tried to just pick four and then didn't, <laughs> still didn't like any of them. So we'll see. We'll see how these go. Been a fun show. Been a fun week. Going to enjoy the games this week, Randy. You bet. Looking forward to it, Mike. Thanks, man. All right, man. Thanks for coming along, everybody. You can find Randy. You can find me on The Athletic. You can find Randy on the former Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. You can find me there at Sando NFL. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. This was the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast.